Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks, Lucas. All right, yeah, so I think I've met everybody in this room, um, but I'll just do another intro again. I'm Taylor. Um, I'm really glad that you're here tonight. I know I speak for Lucas, Sophie, and myself as well. We're just really thankful and happy that you're here tonight. And yeah, this is my first time ever doing this. So really excited, really nervous, um, but I was thinking kind of in my head earlier today just about how it's so sweet that I get to do it in front of you all because I feel like I know you all to varying degrees, but I know your stories and I care about you all a lot, um, so it's a really kind of special, sweet group to get to do this for my first time in front of. Um, so really excited to get to do that. A couple things about me. I'm from the Bay Area, California. I went to UC Berkeley, and that's where um, I found RUF. And RUF was so impactful in my life, um, in my college experience, and in understanding Jesus. That, that's why I did the internship. Um, and that's a lot of why Sophie did it, too. And as many of you know, through RUF, I met my wife, Franny. She's sitting right there. Um, <laughs> And we got married this past summer, which was wonderful, and I'll talk more about that later. Um, some things I love that a lot of you know, because I talk about them a lot, like beach volleyball, cars, sports, and yeah, I love RUF. And so I know Lucas had talked about um, what RUF is already, but just want to reiterate, really glad that you're here. And we want RUF to be a community where we can explore Jesus together, uh, no matter where you are in the spectrum of belief. Um, and do that in the context of community. And, you know, we do so many different events, like the social event, bowling is going to be great, large groups, small groups. And we do those and explore God's word together um, to see what it says about God for us in our lives. And so I want to start by jumping into our passage. Um, we've been in the parables this semester. Um, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 tonight as we continue on in that series. And I'll read that for us now. And Dan has perfectly got it up on the screen. Um, So this is God's word in Luke 14, starting in verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blame, uh, and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
All right, let's just take a moment to pray before we jump in. Father, thank you um, that tonight none of us are in this room um, by accident, but that you have brought us here for a reason, and it is because you love us. Um, I ask that you would call my nerves and help me to speak clearly from your word, um, and that you would work in our hearts and minds to see you, Jesus, as more beautiful than when we walked into this room tonight. Lord, I'm mindful that some of us come here tonight exhausted and weary, just trying to get to Thanksgiving break, and others come excited and full of energy. You know that none of us have it all together, and yet you have welcomed us in your love. And I ask that you would help RUF be a place that welcomes others like this. Um, Help us tonight to see your goodness and mercy, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're continuing in our series tonight um, through the parables that Jesus taught. And if you remember from previous weeks, as Lucas has led us this semester, parables are stories about things from everyday life, like farming, money, relationships, and parties that convey a deeper spiritual meaning. Um, As we would have seen earlier in this chapter, before verses 12, if we had read that, Jesus is dining at a ruler of the Pharisees' house, and he has already healed a sick man and given them a parable on humility. And so to set up the parable in verse 12, Jesus tells the Pharisee not to invite his friends or rich neighbors to his party, but instead to invite those who have nothing to give him in return who have no reason of their own to be there. And it's important to note that the Pharisees were upper class. They were the religious elite in their culture. So this call to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind would have been shocking to them. Jesus isn't saying you can never invite your friends or your family to a party, but he is using hyperbole here to show the importance of loving those who are on the outside. Uh, The Pharisees during this time saw themselves as more righteous or holy than others, especially those with physical ailments. And so he is showing them that they're actually missing the whole kingdom of God with their self-righteousness and exclusivity. And then we come to verse 15, kind of the start of the second big chunk, right, where the parable's starting. And this is kind of a funny moment. I wonder if this has ever happened to you, where you're sitting at a table, maybe Thanksgiving or something is coming up, and somebody in your family or friends starts saying something that's really awkward, or there's a lot of tension springing up, and then it's like awkward silence. And so you say something totally random just to like change the subject. I have definitely done that probably many times. And that's kind of what happens here in verse 15, and it's pretty funny. Uh, The Pharisee says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's just like such a random thing to say in this moment. Like Jesus is teaching them, and then he's just kind of in the middle, says that to interrupt because, and like, why is he saying that? Well, because Jesus is challenging their ideals of the kingdom of God, of their self-righteousness. And so it's kind of a funny, random interruption. But then Jesus uses that in his brilliance of like, you know what, yeah, let's talk about the kingdom of God and who will be in it. And what we'll see tonight is that it's not who the Pharisees expect, but it is really good news for broken people uh, like us tonight. And so in verses 16 and on, uh, really where the meat of the parable happens, we see that there are three groups of people, and that's kind of what I want to follow that outline for tonight. We see those that reject the invitation to this banquet, those that accept, and then we also see the host. And I want to spend a lot of time with the host at the end. And so first, to look at those who reject the invitation, I want to tell a story um, from my time in college. So like I said, I went to UC Berkeley, um, go Bears. And in my, I think in my junior year, we were playing the Washington Huskies, so another Husky team. Um, And it was a football game, and I really love football. As I said earlier, I love sports. And so I went to the game, and our team was really bad, kind of like UConn Huskies. So sorry. Um, 
But our team was really bad. We just notoriously underperform and underperform, and it was a real bummer. But I was really honored to go to a school like UC Berkeley, so I loved going to the games. And I'd go with my friends, but a lot of people wouldn't go. It would be like half full every time just because so many people were like, ah, I don't feel like going, you know. There could be so many reasons why. I'd be like, oh, I'm busy, I'm tired, I don't really feel like going to watch our team lose or like support them. It doesn't really seem like worth it to me. And so, it's, I mean, to me, I'm just like, man, this is like the coolest thing I've ever done, but only like half the stadium's full. Still, whatever. I did get on the Jumbotron several times, though. Uh, Franny can attest that, so uh, very proud of that. But So the stadium would be half empty or whatever, and Washington, the Huskies, they were like a nationally ranked team. They were really good, and Berkeley, like I said, was not that good. And so the game starts, and we're like kind of hanging in there, which is pretty incredible because usually we would be pretty terrible, like I said. And, you know, next thing I know, we're getting to the end of the game, and the excitement is building. The half of the stadium that's there is on their feet, and we're down by two points. And I'm just like, this is amazing. With one minute left, we're down by two points. And you guys know my energy level, so even though the stadium is half full, I'm, like, making up for it. And so really excited. Next thing I know, we drive down the field in that minute, and we kick a field goal to win by one point. That was, like, super close against a nationally ranked team. Super good. This is, like, the biggest win in Cal history that at least since I had been there. And guess what we do? We rush the field. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before where you get to like run onto the field. Like I think in like the videos, they're always like jumping past security guards and over the things. I just like walked down the steps. But then I was on the field, I ran because I felt like I was a part of the win. It was such a cool experience to me where I was like, I see the players right next to me and I'm like, Oh, yeah, I feel like I was a part of the win, too. And then I look next to him, I'm like, oh, I'm like, this guy's a giant. Like, with pads, he could kill me. I'm like, okay, maybe I wasn't part of the win. But in that moment, I felt like I had something to do with our team's success. And it was so fun. I'd never had that experience of being in a huge stadium and on the field and looking up and, like, seeing the stadium around me. I just loved it. And, I mean, I was with some friends on the field, and we were just hilarious. We were clowning around. We were, like, taking pictures, like, trying to find the, like, star players and stuff that did not care about us. But we cared a lot that we were on the field. Um, and so that was an awesome time and experience where we got to do that. And the bummer, though, is a lot of people regretted not going to that game. A lot of people were really bummed because of, like I mentioned earlier, these excuses they had of they were too busy, they were too tired, they didn't care to support our team. Whatever it may have been, they regretted not going. And that was a real bummer because it was amazing. And, you know, this story, this parable that we're looking at tonight is actually pretty similar um, in a lot of ways in that first group of people that we're looking at right now that we see in this story because they're too busy and they felt like they were too good to come to this banquet. And so at the last minute, they cancel. And we see that there's three last-minute cancellations that these invited guests give to this banquet, and they're all pretty ridiculous and lame. And so I want to walk us through them so we can see more of why they're just that. And so the first excuse is, I have bought a field and I must go examine it. Please have me excused. And this is pretty ridiculous and kind of rather insulting because in that time, but also now, you would never go and buy something massive like a plot of land without ever having seen it before. That's like, oh yeah, I bought a house in West Hartford earlier today, but I got to go look at it now. So like, you know, maybe I can't come to your party. Like you would not do that, especially if it was like anything worth value, which land is. The second excuse is, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Have me excused. And this one's also kind of ridiculous because this would be saying like, oh yeah, so like I bought a car off a blurry picture on Craigslist and like I got to go look at it. Sorry, I can't like come to your like Halloween party tonight or whatever, you know? It's like you would never do that. And if you would, please don't. I love cars. I would like love 
It'd be so fun for me. I'd be like, this is my job to go help one of you buy a car. But please don't like look up a blurry Craigslist picture and like spend thousands of dollars on a car. So you would never do that. And that day of this party, after the food is already prepared, saying, no, I won't come, that is another lame, ridiculous excuse. And so then the third excuse we see is, I've gotten married and I can't come. This is another one of those lame, ridiculous excuses because there would have been like an RSVP to this banquet several, several weeks or months in advance and you would have known. It's like saying, oh yeah, I'll be on my honeymoon, so sorry, I can't come. You would have known you were getting married and been on your honeymoon, so you would have said no far prior than, oh, the food's ready, sorry, I can't come to your banquet. But what I do want to recognize is that all of these excuses do come from good things. The first excuse is about possessions. It's about their land or like a home. The second excuse is about work. And then the third is about relationships, it's marriage. And the problem is, though, is they're making these good things into ultimate things. And in turn, they're missing out on a really awesome party. One that if they really knew what it was like, they, they wouldn't miss it at all. <clears throat> and so I want us to think for a moment about the excuses that we make that might get in the way of our relationship with God. You know, it could be something like, ah, church is pretty early in the morning on Sundays, so I don't want to go. I just can't. Or the people there are kind of weird. There's like some older people that always introduce themselves to me and I don't really like talking to them, right? I've made those excuses. Or maybe for you, is it, oh, I just need to get this like whole degree and college student thing out of the way, and then I can give God my time, my talent, my treasure. Or maybe it's just something you want to have, a job you hope to get one day, or a relationship that you want to have that keeps you in the way of God, kind of like the people in this parable. It's keeping them out of the banquet. And I would really encourage you to think about what your reasons are, because I promise you nothing is more important in your life than God. But it is really easy in college to put God and your relationship with the Lord on the back burner in college. And so now I want to start looking at our second point for tonight, which is going to be those who accept this banquet, right? So we see, we come to now, is that all the people are gone. No one is coming to this party. This, the, um, <coughs> sorry, the servant says, you know, there is no one coming to the party. And so what does the host do? He says, I want my banquet to be full. And that is one of my favorite verses in this entire passage where it says the host wants his banquet to be full. And what does he tell his servant? He says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. And in a minute, we'll go over why the host so badly wants for his banquet to be full with these outcasts. But for now, we see that the people who come are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And I'm going to get water because my throat is like dead. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to drink water even because that's so, like, weak sauce to do. But sorry, my throat, like, is scared. So wake myself up a little bit too, you know. Um, but, yeah, so we see that the people who come to this banquet actually are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, these would have been the outcasts of society, the lowest of the low, especially in a Pharisee's eye. So low, in fact, that... The master, the, the master of the house, he says, go out into the highways and the hedges to bring them in, right? So the, bank, the servant goes out, he brings in some of the people, but then he says there's still more room. And so he says, you go out outside of the city to find these people. They're so low, they can't even live in the city. And so clearly they never would have been invited to a party like this. These people, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, knew their brokenness and their need for acceptance and love and so they would have rejoiced at the opportunity to come to a banquet like this. Them knowing their unworthiness is exactly what brings them to this banquet. 
unlike those who think they are too good for it and make excuses. And I want to emphasize that again, that it is because of their unworthiness that that's what brings them to this banquet. Whereas the Pharisees, what's keeping them out is their self-righteousness, their lack of humility. It's also so funny I have this water bottle of all things to drink on, but it's great. And so I wonder if you've ever been invited to something where when you got there, it was amazing, but you had no reason of your own to be there or to get to experience that in the first place. On my 20th birthday when I was in college, my dad, I love cars, right? My dad had a friend who owned a very nice car, very, very nice car. And he was like, oh, why doesn't your son come and see my car on his birthday? That'd be cool. My dad didn't even know him that well, but you know, my dad had asked him. My dad's pretty bold. And so we go, and his car is a Bugatti Chiron, which I don't know if you know much about cars, but there's only 500 of those ever made, and they're worth $2.9 million, the cheapest you can get it. $2.9 million. And then, you know, everything costs who knows how much to, like, spec it even higher. Once again, I love cars. This is insane. This is, like, I don't even know, more than, like, so many houses. You could buy, like, thousands of normal cars for the price of this one car that I'm, like, way taller than, because it's a race car, so it's, like, I'm a hip. And I'm just like, wow, it's, like, small, but it's, I mean, it's so expensive. And so I'm just amazed that I'm a nobody to this guy. He didn't even know my name before this. And he's letting me look at this car. It's absolutely amazing. And so we get there and I'm talking to him. I'm asking him all these questions about it. And next thing you know, he's like, oh, Taylor, do you want to sit in the car? Like sit in, sit in the seat. And I'm just like, this seat is worth more than my life. Like <laughs> if I scratch, like what's on my jeans? Like if I scratch, if I do anything, this I'm toast. Like this is such a nice car. And he's so friendly and welcome. He's like, oh yeah just go sit in it like no big deal whatever and I'm just like oh man but just like a once in a lifetime opportunity so I'm like yes please of course I will and it was crazy and then the crazy thing happened he's like well you want to go for a drive and I'm just like what like you're going to drive this car with a kid you met like 10 minutes ago drive this like on the freeway who knows where at like a risk to yourself if somebody scratched this car I don't even want to know how much that would cost and like an oil change right Suzanne your brother has to get an oil change Alan <laughs> 20 over $20,000 to change the oil in a car like this and I'm just like you're gonna like use more oil you're gonna do all this stuff just to drive me on my birthday I don't even know if you know you know my last name because it's the same as my dad's but like do you know me I'm a nobody to you and so we go for a drive and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life and I will probably I mean I don't envision being in another three million dollar car in my life um, but if any of you people know someone that would, I'll take it. I'm not saying I won't take it. I'm not too rival for that, but or too humble for that. But it was incredible. And so we drive down the road. And also, I forget to mention, this guy's like 85 years old. So like he like doesn't walk that fast to get in the car. And the car's super low to the ground. And he's driving. And he's like, oh, you want to see like how fast the car goes? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. It's a V16, 16 cylinder engine. And he's like, sure. It's like 1500 horsepower. It takes like a better gas than you can buy at a normal gas station. And he's like, and I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, I want to see the power. So he stops outside of like a burger shack, like an M&G's in the middle of the road. And he's like, sure. And he floors it. And it is like, I hated the experience, actually. I felt like I was going to die. My head was going to cave in. And I almost threw up. And this was like before COVID. So I was like wearing a mask. I almost like puked in this car. I'm like, I'm getting your seat dirty. What if I throw up in this car? Like, I don't even know. I'd be toast. Like, this would be so bad. But he just does it all. And he's like, yeah, we drive for like 30 minutes. And I'm just like, I don't even know like how much this could have cost him. Thankfully, we didn't crash, but it was amazing. And one of the most special parts about this whole story for me was that I was a nobody to this guy, yet he did all of this for me. I had no reason of my own that I should ever be able to ride in a car like this, talk to a guy who's as successful as this guy was, 
or just experience the power and the craft that went into this car. But he's like, yeah, come on, do it all. And it was great. It was absolutely amazing. And so in that moment, and in so many other moments in my life, I was an outsider, like Jesus lists in this parable of the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the welcome and kindness of that stranger was amazing to me, and it changed me. And I think it's important to recognize that we, too, are all outsiders, like Jesus lists, of the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. We are all some spiritual version of those. When we look into the face of our perfect, holy God, we cannot help but see how we are a creature and he is the creator. And so, do we see how we are guests that are coming to this banquet? We are just like these guests. We are broken people who haven't really done anything to earn a great feast. And yet, we don't really want to seem like we're poor, crippled, lame, or blind. Spiritually, physically, whatever. We just don't want to seem weak. As a college student, as people... Whatever. We don't want to seem weak. We have this problem with being weak. And I think we see this in how quickly, for one example, of we're so quick to say, yeah, I'm good. So many, so many times in my life, somebody said, Taylor, how are you? And I'm not doing well, but I just, yeah, I'm good. And then I'm like, that's not true. I think I'm mad. I'm like, why did I say so quickly, yeah, I'm good? Because I'm actually not good, but and I could be honest with this person and maybe it'd be a real moment of healing and vulnerability, but instead I don't. And I just say, yeah, I'm good. And the conversation keeps going or passes. And friends, I want RUF to be a place like that where you can come here on a Wednesday night or to a small group or to a one-on-one with one of us and we can ask you how you are and you don't just have to say I'm good to appear like I have it all together. I'm at UConn, great school, all this stuff, I'm a hard major, whatever it is. I want this to be a place and I know we as a staff do and I think it would be awesome for you guys too where you can come and be like, I'm actually not doing that well and that's okay and we'll love you in that. I know for me one of the hardest things is saying sorry, and I wonder if that is for you too. And I think that's another way in which this weakness is so hard for us to show. And I think we all get the point that we don't like to be weak or needy. But when we look at this feast, the people who go to this banquet are the weak and needy. And the reason they go is because they realize their need for something like a banquet. They realize that on their own, they could never go to such an awesome party like this. And so I just would like really encourage you this week, later this week, whatever, to just like kind of think about what I'm saying, especially there. And so finally we get to the third kind of character in this story. We get to the host. And what we learn is that God is the host. Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable is that he, the host, has come and he wants to have his house full. He wants to invite people to this party. He wants it to be a full party. And the Pharisees that were listening to him, literally at this table, They would have known about this coming heavenly feast from their knowledge of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, specifically in chapter 25, verse 6, I want to look at, because it reads, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And then the following verses there go on to talk about how on this day God will swallow up death forever. And he will wipe tears from all people's faces. Doesn't that sound amazing? I want to be there. That picture, that party sounds amazing. Food and drink is probably going to be the best ever. No death or crying. And the best part about that is that's true. That will happen. Jesus came down on this earth to secure that feast for you. He lived life on this earth. He was crucified, died, and rose here so that one day he may come again to this earth 
and dine with us when it is made new and perfect. Take a little more water, but I don't like the spritz thing. As most of you know, Franny and I got married this summer, and it was awesome. It was by far the best party I've ever been to in my entire life. If any of you saw Connie and I dancing at the Halloween party, that was like nothing compared to how awesome my dance moves were at our wedding. And the, like, the best part wasn't even my dance moves. It was, I was getting married to Franny um, and all of our favorite people were there. But it was amazing. It was so much fun. And we knew it was going to be pretty amazing because of how hard we had worked to plan it. And so what we wanted is we wanted all of our favorite people to be there. We wanted our family and our loved ones to be there just because we loved them and we wanted them to experience that with us. We wanted them to be there with us. And, you know, our wedding was only a taste, only a small, small, small taste of the banquet that is to come when Jesus returns. And, you know, I think that's why everybody loves weddings so much, why it's like the best day of your life, because we were made for a, for a wedding. We were made for a wedding feast with God. And so why did Jesus do all that he did? Why did he become a baby and live on this earth to bring this invitation and good news about this coming feast? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us in the Bible that he did it for the joy that was set before him. And friends, that joy is you. That joy is you tonight. And I want that to be really good news for us. You know, as you know, and as I just said, Franny and I's wedding was amazing. It's actually our three-year dating anniversary today which is really cool. So we went on our first date three years ago, um, which was awesome. That was the best dinner of my life. And that date or our wedding, which was so amazing, I'll never forget it. That is nothing. And that will be nothing in comparison to how the wedding to come will be in the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus wants you to be there. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the apostle John in chapter 19 writes about this very wedding. He calls it the marriage supper of the lamb. He writes about Jesus as the groom and us, the bride, which is the church. If we accept Jesus' invitation and believe in him, that will be us, friends. And all you need to come to this feast is need. All you need is need. I would encourage you to read that chapter in Revelation sometime if you haven't before or to read it again and just think and meditate on that heavenly feast. I bet it will make you want to worship God. I bet it will make you see that possessions, Work and relationships are all good things given to you by God, but that they should not get in the way of your relationship with God. I hope it inspires you to want to share about this feast with others who might not know about it and even invite them into a place like RUF where they can experience that together in community. Friends, let's run to Jesus tonight and again and again and again so that we can feast with him. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for each and every one of these students that are here. I just ask that you would be with us tonight, um, that you would hold us fast until this feast, and that we would have our eyes set on that, but that we would also work hard to bring your kingdom today. Uh, We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, you can stand again. Uh, We're going to sing one more song about this very feast, and then we'll hang out.